Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement, your source for news and commentary from a cultural and right of center perspective. African American Conservatives. Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. I'm your host, Marie Strader. Please go to acons.substack.com. There you will find our commentary. You'll find links to all of our social media platforms. You'll find links to this podcast, as well as ways to be able to support and sustain our work. Today, we have our special guest, Alan West. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West is a combat veteran of the United States Army, where he served in uniform for 22 years. He was a member of the 112th Congress, representing Florida, uh, where he also he also served as chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, and he is currently the director, executive director of the American Constitutional Rights Union. And so, it is my great pleasure to welcome back to the show my friend. Alan West. How you doing, Marie? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm fantastic. I pray you had a great uh, and happy 247th Independence Day. Well, we did. And do you know what we did as a family? Uh, we gathered around the television. <laughs> well, yeah, we did that too. Yeah. We gathered around the television because some guy on the internet urged people to read the Declaration of Independence together. And if they didn't, they could watch him read it. So we did. We watched you read the direct the wow. Declaration of Independence. Well, thank you so very much. That's a real honor. And I think it's so important that we come to understand the foundations and the reasons why this country was established and why we declared our independence. Because if we don't understand that, uh, then I think that we have the possibility of you know, succumbing to the exact same type of grievances that Thomas Jefferson listed 247 years ago. And in many ways we have. talk about that because um as we were reading <laughs> as you read this uh declaration of independence there were some things that jumped out at me and it's so funny because um sebastian and i gasped at this one phrase uh he has erected a multitude of new offices mm. and has sent swarms hither of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance yeah. And I mean, go ahead. No, I mean, you know just where I'm going of, with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, just think about it. I mean, you're sitting around saying you need 87,000 new IRS agents, uh, or you have the ATF that is out there, you know, now all of a sudden making a rule that makes people felons basically overnight and uh, they can serve, you know, years in prison and to include fines, which again, you know, anytime a government agency is coming up with a new fine, that's taxation without representation. So I, that's why I think it's so important that we sit and read yeah. these things and say, hey, you know, Jefferson was complaining about stuff that's happening right now. And so history has a way of repeating itself for those who don't learn from it. Well, in your latest column at theacru.org, uh, you wrote about the days after Independence Day, and you said, quote, just going through Jefferson's statement of grievances against King George III, one can find a few common to today. 
He has refused his assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. For that purpose, obstructing the laws for naturalization of foreigners, Mm -hmm. he has obstructed the administration of justice and the one that we just quoted uh, about the (laughs) swarms of officers. That just blew my mind. Um, So seeing this almost play out for us again today, what is our redress of grievances? Well, our redress of grievances is first and foremost to, to recognize this, and then therefore you can take action. Uh, first and foremost, if you don't recognize these things are happening, you never go. You know, if you don't understand there is a problem, there is an issue, you're not going to be able to come up with a solution. And I believe it's so important that the American people uh, understand that government exists, as Jefferson said in the Declaration, by the consent of the government. We should not be consenting to these things that we see happening, which violate our basic understanding of individual rights, freedoms, and liberties, as well as violating our rule of law, which is the Constitution. So it is so important that we you know, bring these grievances forward and we start to hold the elected officials accountable to say that uh, we don't want to go down this path. Uh, there was a reason why we said we had to separate the bonds that we had with England. Well, maybe we have to separate the bonds that we have with this current government, uh, being that uh, the, the branches of the executive branch and then the legislative branch. Not too much we can do about the judicial branch because most of those uh, judges are appointed. But if we are affecting it by way of the people that we're electing into office who uh, have the ability to appoint people to the uh, Article Three, the judicial branch, then we can uh, make sure once again that our laws are being respected and regarded, especially the laws that pertain to our individual rights, freedoms, and liberties. I wanna ask you uh, a question that also relates to Independence Day. You know, a lot of times uh, during this time of year, uh, you see people trotting out also uh, Frederick Douglass's speech, uh, what is uh, the 4th of July to the American slave? And uh, I saw a video of the descendants of Frederick Douglass uh, reading it. And I just wanted to ask you, because it just seems to me, um, I'm sorry, what is a video of the descendants of Frederick Douglass reading parts of his What What to the Slave is the Fourth of July speech? Uh, Many of my Black friends posted it uh, as though it were some sort of diatribe against America uh, and some sort of a protest. And when it was written in 1852, we were still under the menace of slavery. Mm -hmm. That is no longer the case, but to many in black America. And I say that because it seems like there are still two Americas to some people. um, It's hard for me to understand that thinking because, you know, Brittany Griner had the whole thing where she was, you know, I don't, this is not my national anthem. And she's changed her tune a little bit, spending nine months <laughs> in the, you know, Russian yeah. Gulag. Uh, yeah. But, you know, some of her teammates or other women in the NBA I've seen, you know, go off on the national anthem and that kind of thing. You would think listening to that kind of rhetoric that America has never done anything good for mm-hmm. Blacks. Tell me where that thinking is wrong-headed. 
Well, first and foremost, if you study and understand the Declaration of Independence, uh, originally it comes from the natural rights theory of John Locke, the, uh, the classical liberal philosopher from England, who uh, established this belief that the inalienable rights of the individual uh, are derived from the creator God. And he said they were life, liberty, and property. And initially, Thomas Jefferson was going to, as he quoted John Locke when he talked about the laws of nature, nature's God in our Declaration of Independence. But uh, instead of him putting down life, liberty, and property as part of the inalienable rights, uh, it was Benjamin Franklin from Pennsylvania, a free state that looked at Thomas Jefferson and said, you know, we can't do that. And the reason why we can't do that is because we do not want anyone to believe that they have the uh, inalienable right endowed to them from the creator God to own another person. So this was a huge stake in the ground. It was them recognizing, realizing that at some point in time, they we had to make sure that those words uh, came to full meaning. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Uh, because all of a sudden, if you start to justify uh, you know, owning another person property uh, by way of saying this is an inalienable right, then we're not going to be able to correct it. And so there you find it. Uh, as uh, Abraham Lincoln talked about later in the Gettysburg Address, how we have endeavored to you know, go to war over making sure that that document, the Declaration of Independence, could live up to its true meaning. And he talked about the new birth of freedom and the, the Gettysburg. Furthermore, I just want to say in that, you know, having been the former chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, the, the, the country's largest uh, state Republican Party, uh, remember that it was on Independence Day of 1867 when the Republican Party of Texas was founded by 150 black men down in Houston, Texas. So that's my response to people that want to say, what should the, the 4th of July mean to uh, the black community? Uh, and what does the declaration mean to us? It meant that from the very beginning that these 56 men understood that they had to make a stake in the ground. And then four score and what, seven years later, uh, we endeavored to fight a, a, a civil war to make the, sure that we owned up to that. And then uh, a few years after the end of the civil war, 150 black men created the largest state Republican party in the United States of America on that independence day. End of story, case closed. You know, it, it, it shocks me um, that we don't know our history as we ought to. Um, oh, yeah. Because I want to segue now into the uh, the Supreme Court decision last week for affirmative action. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and all that I saw in the black community online uh, about that decision and how it's such a horrific thing for us because we will never advance. Uh, and what will we do without you know, affirmative action. And, you know, I went on a rant, you know, last Thursday night, DK and I did our live and, and I was talking about my daughter who, um, you are a very close friend of my family. You know my daughter's mm -hmm. story and you know that she was adopted and she came from a, a really tough background, but she persevered and she overcame a lot of odds mm -hmm. and has received uh, two raises. I, I said last week she was, she's received another raise this week. Uh, and so she is just 
growing by leaps and bounds, got straight A's every quarter that she was uh, at her community college with the exception of the last one because she didn't carry enough credits uh, to to do that because uh, she only needed one class for her certification. Mm -hmm. uh, but you would think from the uh, outcry online that, you know, we've been set back a million years and, you know, uh, what are we going to do and yeah. all of this hand-wringing. Walk me through that kind of thinking because I don't get it. I think it's a great thing for us. No, I think it is. And, you know, my father taught me that never allow yourself to see your skin color as a handicap or a crutch. And that's exactly what affirmative action does. Affirmative action, you know, puts forth a belief that, you know, because of where you were born and where you come from, uh, your background, me being born in a Blacks Only Hospital 62 years ago, uh, there's only so much that I can achieve. There's there's a, 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 a ceiling that I will hit. Uh, and the standards out there, uh, you have to adjust the standards for me and to allow me to come about. And as I've told folks, you know, that wasn't the case with the Tuskegee Airmen. OK, there was no, you know, sliding of the standard. If they wanted to be uh, fighter pilots, combat pilots in war, they had to meet and exceed the standards. And guess what? When, you know, those white bomber pilots wanted to have fighter escort, guess who they asked for over and over again? It was the Tuskegee Airmen, the 332nd uh, fighter squadron. And why did they ask for them? Because they never lost a bomber in their escort missions. So that has nothing to do with their skin color. It has everything to do with their character, with their uh, competence, with their intelligence and their skills. They found out what the standard was and they met it and they exceeded it. Uh, Booker T. Washington, when Booker T. Washington found out that he was free, he didn't ask for affirmative action. He didn't say, hey, give me that 40 acres and a mule. He said, give me an education. I got to get some. And that's what he understood, unlocked the doors of the equality of opportunity. Uh, so what affirmative action does is about the quality of outcomes. What affirmative action does, it reinforces that theory, that ideology of the soft bigotry of low expectations that says that, you know, you can't get there. So we have to manipulate and change things so that you're able to get there. But yet we don't have affirmative action when it comes to sports. No. I mean, we, we don't we don't sit down and say that, you know, you got to have X amount of uh, Asian kids yeah. uh, or, or you know, Native American kids on the football team. No, it's all about the, the best person being out there. And that's who's going to get on the field. And that's how they win championships. So, you know, I give the example of uh, Louisiana State University, LSU, who just uh, in this year, uh, they won the college baseball World Series. Well, they only had one black kid on their starting rotation. He was their first baseman. Nobody was, you know, screaming and yelling about, you know, we need to have more black kids out there on the team. They cared about winning. He cared about winning. Now you conversely look at their women's national basketball championship team, all black. As a matter of fact, they took on, you know, Iowa in the championship game. And, you know, it was a very clear distinction between those two teams. Uh, and guess what? The, the LSU girl won. Uh, and it wasn't about race. It was about skill. It was about talent. And so why can't we say that we don't need to have these crutches academically? Uh, because we don't seem to have to have these crutches athletically. And the brain is a muscle. And we need to have uh, help people to be able to develop that brain, which is where, and you and I have talked about it before, this is the greatest travesty in the Black community. The lack of quality education 
which the Democrat Party, which the teachers unions and all of these folks who are saying that, you know, blacks can't survive in a merit based society. Well, I guess we can't if you're not enabling us to read and do math at grade mm -hmm. level. So. Oh, and, and one last thing. Uh, I mean, the, the women that were featured in that movie Hidden Figures. I mean, these were incredible mathematicians. But now all of a sudden, math is racist and it's yeah. against black people. So, you know, I don't get it. And I think that's how we debunk this argument. Yeah, because, you know, I, I, I saw so much hand wringing and it was just really crazy because, you know, when you go to the ER, you don't say, get me the best black doctor that you have. Yeah. I mean, you try to get the best doctor for your specialty, right? Yeah. So it, it's insane to me that that we have this sort of, um, I think it's maybe wrong of me to think this way, but they made it so obvious I can't help it now. But, you know, uh, Judge Brown. I yeah. think of her as the black lady on the Supreme Court. I don't think of Clarence Thomas as the black guy on the Supreme Court at all, because we know his background, we know his history, and even though the left doesn't want to celebrate it, we know what his uh, credentials are. But Judge Jackson, they said, we want a black woman on the Supreme Court. And so that's what we have. Uh, and so I don't look at her bona fides. I don't have I don't look at her credentials, even though I'm sure she must have them uh, to be able to serve on the Supreme Court. I don't think of that when I look at her and I don't want that for my kids. I don't want somebody to look and say, oh, there's that kid that graduated from XYZ because they're black. There's that yeah. kid that has this because they needed, you know, six more black kids in the veterinary assisting program. You know, I don't want anybody to look at my kids that way. No, you're absolutely right. And as a matter of fact, I think Michelle Obama wrote a little response article that talked about this and that, you know, we, we castigate or, or there's this image or this uh, perception that, uh, you know, folks are there because of those facts, that the standard has been adjusted to change. Look, in the United States military, uh, I knew that if I wanted to go from second lieutenant to first lieutenant, there were things that I had to achieve, things that I had to do. It wasn't about my skin color, from first lieutenant to captain, all the way up to lieutenant colonel. Uh, and so we have to get back to that merit-based uh, thinking and stop having the thinking of being a victim. You know, my dad raised me and he said, find what the standard is and exceed it. That's just the bottom line. And if we taught our kids to do that, instead of them sitting back and saying, well, I didn't pass this math test because math doesn't like me because I'm black. That, that's silly. Okay. But we have allowed that to perpetuate and to permeate throughout the society because of these white leftist pro pro progressives who, as you saw the woman uh, said on her Twitter feed or her social media feed that, you know, we can't survive in a merit-based society. So basically you're saying that I'm too stupid to be able to get out there and learn and, and be competitive, which again, is that soft bigotry of low expectations that says that I'm too stupid to be able to go out there and get a picture ID so I can go and vote. But yet I have to have a picture ID to fly on an airplane or, you know, to go to most uh, other places, to go into a bank or what have you. So I, I think that this is the insidious nature. And I think that this is definitely without a reason why this had to go. And you're right. If you put Clarence Thomas and his resume beside Katanji Brown ja uh, Jackson, uh, it's very clear. Clarence Thomas is there because of the merit. He just so happens to be a black member of the United States Supreme Court. But Ketanji Brown Jackson was chosen simply because Joe Biden said 
as long as he had found a black female out there that was breathing and had a daggum law degree, that's that's who we put on there to include his vice president. Um, you wrote, quote, when tolerance becomes a one-way street, it leads to mm-hmm. cultural suicide. That is the path we're on with this cultural rivalry between June and December. It will be interesting to see how many Christian flags are flown during December or nativity scenes at U.S. embassies worldwide. The lesson of this missive is that we cannot live free if we are held under the totalitarian tyranny of the left's declared religion. While at the same time, our true Judeo faith, uh, Judeo-Christian faith heritage is under assault. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by the cultural rivalry between June and December? Oh, it's very simple. The The left has turned all of this LGBTQIA plus alphabet soup mafia thing into their religion. And if you don't bow down and worship it, uh, I mean, you're demonized, denigrated, persecuted and prosecuted. That's what we see happening. You have states now that are saying if you do not uh, address a person by their chosen pronoun, uh, you can be fined uh, and, and it's a misdemeanor offense. That's crazy. Okay, you're basically telling me how I have to, you know, speak to another person that is out of control. Uh, And when you have all of these rainbow flags, and of course, the real meaning of the rainbow has to do with the Judeo-Christian faith heritage, the promise that God made to Noah uh, after the flood uh, had had subsided. But now they have usurped that. Uh, You you had that flag flying on the the White House uh, to me and in violation of the flag code. Uh, you have all these things happening in the United States military. Uh, you have uh, th- this flag flying at U.S. embassies. Uh, and so the left has set up their own religion, and we're supposed to worship it. They're pushing it. Uh, they don't see that that is a true separation of church and their uh, ideology. I mean, church being at their ideology and state. But yet in December, when it comes around, how many nativity scenes will you see at the United States embassies? How many Christian flags will you see on U.S. military posts? Or uh, will you even see a Christian flag that will be flown at the White House in in celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? No, that's not going to happen. Heck, you can't even get people to say Merry Christmas hardly anymore. It's Happy Holidays, Seasons Greetings, uh, Happy Winter Solstice, and, and all of these things. So that's what I mean by this cultural clash between what they have made June to be and what we knew December to be. You know, it's interesting because I've never really considered how political my kids are. I mean, I guess you can't grow up in a household that I live in and not, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. assemble some facts about some things. But it's weird as my kids get older to hear what comes out of their mouths. Right. I mean, they're establishing their own identities and you kind of hear all of the things that you've poured into them start coming back out of their mouths. And the other day, my oldest said to me that uh, he was amazed at all of these companies, just how they posted, posted, posted the, the rainbow stuff last month. You know, they changed all of their logos and all that stuff to reflect all these pride colors and stuff, which mm-hmm. kind of gave him a heads up about where he didn't want to work. Um, if that's <laughs> what they were going to do. I mean, if that's where yeah. their focus was just to, to kowtow to this particular crowd. But, you know, just seeing that virtue signaling 
showed him something that just that, that everybody was going out of their way to make sure that you knew that they were down with LGBTQ, IA plus, 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 plus. And I just said, you know, I'm done with it. I'm not even going mm-hmm. to that alphabet soup anymore. I, you know, if I have to say, hey, you, I'll say, hey, you, but I'm not using made up, made up pronouns. I'm not using ghost self, frog self, yeah. whatever self, you know, moon self all this crazy stuff because I'm, I, if I were a schizophrenic, I I saw this meme. It said, if you were a schizophrenic, would you greet all of someone's, you know, uh, imaginary friends? I mean, you're really forcing people into your ideology. Um, that it's it's their religion. Yeah. It's it's their religion. And, And again, it goes back to, King Henry VIII, when he said that I am now the head of the, the state, head of England, and I'm also the head of the church. I created my own church because this is what I want to do. I want to divorce wives. The church said that I can't, so I'll make my own church. And therefore, if I make my own church, I'll make my own rules, regulations, dogma, uh, and maxims. And if you do not abide by that, then you'll be persecuted and prosecuted. Uh, because I'm redefining what belief is. I'm redefining what faith is. And that's exactly what the left is doing here. The left is saying that God, uh, you're, you're kind of dumb. Uh, this whole male, female, Adam and Eve, man and woman thing. Eh, you know, we as man, we can choose to be whatever we want. That's their new religion. And so now we have 62 different genders and binary, non-binary, cisgender, and all this kind of other foolishness. And if you don't play in this uh, ideological leftist religious uh, sandbox, then you're going to suffer the consequences and the ramifications thereof. Uh, And that's why I'm saying when you look at the contrast between June and December, it just plays out very clearly that the left has said, this is what you will believe in. And in December, we don't want you to be able to express what is already stated as your freedom of religion, because it doesn't coincide with what we want to, to see as a freedom. Well, you know, I was reading something where it said that 69% of Americans uh, don't go along with that whole, uh, you know, uh, reaffirming or affirming gender care kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, and I'm going to ask you about my former home state of California in a minute because they've kind of co-opted some of that stuff. But if most people do not go along with this, Alan, why are we still seeing it? I mean, why is the squeaky wheel getting the grease? Mm -hmm. If most Americans, you know, voted for Donald Trump, why do we have Joe Biden? If most people are against this gender affirming hoo-ha, why do we have it? I mean, what is with mainstream America that we are not standing up saying this is not the representation that we selected. Mm -hmm. This is not what we want. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a, there's a tyranny of a minority that that is out there. And when you have these large corporations and whatever that are going along to get along basically, basically because of an organization like the human rights campaign, HRC, which has an incredible lobby and, you know, is funded by George Soros, Tides Foundation, all these other people. And they have these social credit scores and they go after these corporate. Why, why would Bud Light all of a sudden decide that they're going to put, you know, this little wimpy guy, and that's what he is, named Dylan Mulvaney, on one of their cans? And, and now look at how many billions of dollars that they have lost in, in market share. 
So you're starting to see people that are responding back. I mean, now we even have an organization. I think that sometime this month they're going to, or, or in August, they're going to have a, a T-shirt, uh, you know, movement that says "Take Back the Rainbow," because you have pushed people too far, and and they're absolutely tired of it. So the silent majority has to stop being silent. They have to stand up. They have to speak out. I think target has uh, seen, they made themselves a target. If I could, you know, <laughs> use that, that phraseology uh, and uh, more, more, more people are going to start pushing back and saying that, you know, you can't come up here and tell me that my child is not my own. You can't sit up here and tell me that if I don't go along with your religion, your, your ideological agenda uh, and allow my child to be mutilated, uh, that you're going to take my child away from me. These are the type of things that a lot of people say we should not talk about, but these are going to be critical issues because now this intrusive nature of the left is coming right into your home. They're telling you what you what you must do with your child. They're telling you what type of stove you can have. They're telling you what type of dishwasher you can have. They're telling you what type of car that uh, you should drive, which comes back to what we talked about at the beginning, these grievances and usurpations yeah. of the centralized government out there that is no different from many of the things that Thomas Jefferson listed 247 years ago. You know, as I said, California is now saying that if you don't uh, affirm a child's gender, you can have the child taken away. And we also know that it's become this trans sanctuary that, you know, uh, since our state had the common sense to ban surgeries on children who uh, don't have the uh, legal right to enter into contracts and make decisions for themselves. Can't uh, get California a tattoo. Yeah, Can't get well, a tattoo. yeah exactly. California yeah. said, "Hey, we'll take your money. I mean, we'll take we'll take care of that for you." And so now, you know, you can lose your child. Um, and yet, at the same time, we're seeing Moms for Liberty, yes, designated an extremist hate group. By the Southern Poverty Law Center, domestic terrorists uh, for parents showing up at school board meetings and, and city council meetings. Uh, they did exactly what I did, Alan. I read all of my kids' books before it ever went and made it mm -hmm. to their hands. Mm -hmm. And I did that 10 years ago before we saw some of the filth that we see now in libraries. I mean, you were starting to see it then, but I mean, yeah. it's just... Uh, I can't, I can't even look at some of that stuff. I mean, when they had all that stuff at the Capitol, I just, I was like, I can't watch this um, mm -hmm. and listen to some of this stuff. And if you look online and you Google some of this stuff on YouTube, they can't even, they're like, no, you can't read that in this open meeting that, you know, you, and it's like, well, then why can you read it in the classroom to my child? Yeah. yeah. So we're seeing this cultural uh, as you've talked about this kind of battle um, between the this counterculture uh, and this new way of thinking, I don't know where it's coming from, but it just seems like you know well, it's evil. It's evil. Well, but it's, when we it's were, evil. it was in the eighties, it was like what we do in our bedrooms, you know, should remain in the privacy of our bedrooms, and that's our business. And now it's strutting in a feather boa with no pants uh, in your kid's face at a pride parade. Yeah. It's walking down the street in front of you. So we've something has shifted somewhere. How do we get the genie back in the bottle? 
Well, again, we first and foremost, you have to recognize the problem and the issue that you have, and then you have to develop those solutions against it. And so when you realize that moms for liberty or parents that uh, understand that their child is theirs and, and they want to protect their child, they got to assert their rights and liberties as as a parent. Look at what happened in Virginia when Terry McAuliffe said that, you know, parents don't have a right to decide what their children are being taught. Well, he did not win the gubernatorial race in Virginia. So I think that there has to be those political and electoral consequences and ramifications for the left in doing this. And I think that this is going to be a huge uh, rallying call and uh, uniting issue uh, for parents across the United States of America. Uh, and, and now, I mean, you see Muslim parents that are out there saying, you know, leave our children alone. We don't want this happening. Now, all of a sudden, Muslims are white supremacists. I mean, this is how the left rolls. Everybody's a bad gun white supremacist, because if you do not bow down to our religion and, and our ideological belief and agenda, then we're going to persecute you and prosecute you. We're going to call your name. And, and again, how interesting it is that you tell a parent that they have to affirm a child's gender. Well, the parent was there when the child was born. You think? The, the parent was there to see that that's my little boy, that's yeah. my little girl, that's Joe, or that's Jane. Uh, I, I can affirm their gender. No, they are redefining this. Uh, so it's, really, it's just mutilating a child. You, you don't change anything on the internal. You change everything on the external. And I think you're starting to see more of these kids who have been subjected to this, now they're filing lawsuits yeah. uh, because they feel like they were led down a bad path and their bodies are destroyed. I mean, these puberty blockers, hormonal therapies, all of these things for these little young bodies, these, these mutilation surgeries. But even more so, at some point in time, we got to start arresting people. I mean, what happened to indecent exposure? What happened to contributing to the delinquency of a minor? Uh, if you and I were to take our kids uh, when they were under 18 into a pornographic store, yeah. or if we were to take them to a strip club, mm -hmm. we're done. We're gone. So how is it that all of a sudden you can take your child to a drag queen show, uh, scantily clad, you know, biological males par parading around displaying their genitalia in front of kids? Somebody's got to go to jail. And what's even worse now, to put the, 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 the cherry on top, is that we have Antifa yeah. that has now come out, and the, the new brown shirts, they're coming out, and they're protecting these venues where you have these drag shows. Well, why don't we have constitutional sheriffs coming in saying, you know what, this is not happening. This is the, the law that you're violating, and we're coming in, we're arresting every parent, we're arresting every adult that is displaying themselves in a sexual manner to kids that are minors. That's what is called uh, contributing to the delinquency of a minor. Yeah, uh, it's sad when I see these parents, like they're filming all of this yeah. and smiling and laughing. And I am stunned at that. Uh, yeah, but those parents are okay. But the parent that does not want to play this game, they lose their child. Yeah. This is this is how these upside down yeah. these are very serious things. And then this is how upside down it, it goes back to Isaiah 5 and 20. Woe be to those who will call good evil and evil good. That's crazy to me. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh reparations. Oh stop. Because, because you know, I, I I have a very good friend that I grew up with um, that I've known since I was nine years old, uh, eight years old. And 
this person is in charge of one of the largest reparations movements uh, in the country. And I, I just kind of wonder what's gone on with this friend because, you know, um, and I, I, I say this with a lot of love, and I think that that's maybe part of the solution is that we need to realize that people have strayed from God's path for them and really help them to see that. Because I think that they, they're, they're inextricably linked, you know? Um, I, he has taken uh, a, a, a trajectory, uh, his wife of 20 something years, they got divorced. Um, he is now uh, advocating for, uh, I, I see some of this uh, rainbow stuff on his feed. Um, he used to be uh, someone who preached from a pulpit. Um, and, and now we see this whole, you know, DEI, uh, mm -hmm. reparations, all this kind of stuff. And so I just think, to your point, sitting together as a family, reading our foundational documents and understanding the history in which those documents were written. Like I said, the whole thing about Frederick Douglass, um, you know, slavery was still going on at that time. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that you would see something like that. And you should have been seeing things like that, that were being written by free black people and, and free white people for that matter. Um, yeah. And the struggle didn't happen without white people and people forget that, but yeah, a lot of a lot of them died head. in the Civil War. Yes, uh, you'd think. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm just wondering if, you know, there is a way, just like with your Black Robe Regiment, that we can start to get people back to looking at God and his principles. I, uh, You were talking uh, about, uh, well, I mentioned to you about someone that I knew that uh, in my county, there was a thing, a proclamation to make, you know, to acknowledge June as uh, Gay Pride Month or whatever it was. And this mm -hmm. guy said, no, absolutely not. That yeah. is antithetical to what the Bible teaches. Um, and he had no problem standing up and saying, this is not going to happen. And guess what? It did not happen. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it sometimes it just takes one person. And then yep. everybody else who really does feel that way, but is too afraid to say anything because, you know, my job or I don't want yeah. to, you know, um, sometimes it just takes that one person. How do we get people to realize, you know, you are not the minority, but even if you were. Yeah. Still speak up. That if you have God, you are the majority. Yeah. Well, and, and that's why, you know, in our house here, we have Isaiah 54, 17, which says, you know, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue which rises against you, uh, you shall condemn because that's the heritage. That's the power that we have. You know, if God before you, who can be against you? That's uh, Romans uh, chapter eight, I think, verse 31. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so I think we just need to stand on those truths because uh, evil is always going to be out there. Evil is always going to seek to be on the march. And what evil uh, needs, as uh, Sir Edmund Burke said, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men and women to do nothing. So it's time that we start doing something. Uh, and you have to realize, and you and I, I've shared this with you on text messages before, evil is always going to overplay its hand. Uh, because it's just going to keep going until you stop it. And I think that now we have an opportunity to say, okay, you know, we see this incrementalism. I mean, first of all, you said, you know, just let us do what we want in our bedroom. We don't want to be bothered. Got it. 
uh, well, we just want to have civil unions. Uh, we don't want to to push anything about marriage. Okay, you got it. No, we want to be married. Uh, we want marriage equality. We're just like you. No, now it, it's to the point where we're coming after your children. We want to mutilate your children. We want to transition your children. All of these things. Uh, and, and so at some point in time, you have to realize that this uh, incrementalism of the left, you have to stop it early on. Just the same as when you're raising kids, if your kid is disruptive and, and displays bad behavior, you don't wait until they get 17 or 18. You uh, stop it early on, uh, throwing temper tantrums and things yeah. of this nature. Uh, it only took me one time to throw a temper tantrum in a grocery store aisle. Uh, and my mom made sure it never happened again. And that's what you have to do. So we're looking for that one or two people that stand up and, and, you know, courage is, is like kindling a fire. I mean, once people see it, they want to be a part of it. They want to feel that warmth of it. And I think that we're getting to that point. So, you know, SPLC and all these other groups that are out there, uh, eventually they're just going to be overcome and they're going to be overwhelmed because people are going to say, we're going to push through all of your hate mongering and, and all of your nasty rhetoric, you know, attacking moms that want to protect their children. I mean, moms for Liberty, how can how can any I mean, I, I that's a hate group. I mean, I've me met some of those ladies. I mean, I know some of those but I ladies. Do too. I yeah, too. they're just like some of the nicest people. I mean, they're moms. But the thing is that you can have a group like Antifa going out and burning down buildings, beating yeah. people. They, you know, that's not a hate group. No. Or BLM going down no. and, and attacking buildings and attacking people sitting at restaurants. That, that's fine. James Revenge going out and attacking pro-life advocacy centers and, and, and churches. Oh, no, that's that's not a hate group. That's just that's just hunky door with us because that's how the left rolls. And we have got to see that. We've got to understand that. And every person, you got to realize it ain't about R, D, I or whatever after your name. It's whether or not you believe in liberty and freedom. And that's, again, brings us back to exactly how we start this uh, this conversation. It's about Independence Day and making sure that the days after independence, you're doing what is necessary to preserve that one day that established these United States of America. Well, you know, you talk about uh the difference between June and December. Something else that happened in June was Juneteenth. And boy, I am so sorry that I was on social media on Juneteenth because I was excited because, you know, I'm in Texas now and, yeah. you know, this is where everything started and it was a holiday here first and all of this kind of stuff. It's like, why does it have to be a national holiday? I mean, this was, you know, some of uh, white conservatives who said that, and I had a few words for them. If you saw uh, some of the things that I wrote that day. Um, but, you know, the other thing that I saw that was it was kind of disturbing to me was the fact that people were kind of equating the pride movement with civil rights. And yeah. I'm sorry that 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 bothered me because you can't look at you and I and not know, yeah. you know, that we are not white. You could look at someone who is gay and it's getting less and less so these days. But there was a time when you could look at somebody and not really know, yeah. you know, uh, their proclivities, if you will. Yeah, but the sexuality. Know. Yeah. Sexuality and sexual behavior. Yes. But you can't help but look at us and know. So you can't equate the two. But yet I saw that. How are they? I mean, it, it's like they've co-opted so many things. Like you said, the yes. rainbow. And now they're trying to co-opt the civil rights movement. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely right. And so the thing you have to, you know, as you just articulated, you and I walk into a room, there are two things you, you immediately know. I'm a male, you're a female, and we're both black. Now, anything else uh, you have to learn from interacting with me, especially behaviors. And, and so I really do question how we can all of a sudden take sexuality, uh, which is a behavior. And, you know, say that, you know, people get rights based upon behaviors because behaviors can change. Uh, and, and if you want to try to compare uh, the civil rights movement to, to this thing here, uh, that's an abomination. Uh, I have never seen, Maria, I was born in 1961 in a blacks only hospital. I've never seen a gays only hospital. <laughs> I, 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 I just have never, never seen that. I've never seen gay people be uh, hosed yeah. down by water hoses. Yes. And I, I mean, just just stop. I've never seen a movement by which gays were told that you can't vote. Uh, there was an organization that started to keep them from voting. I've never seen where gay people had to worry about poll taxes and literacy yeah. tests and all of these things. I never heard of gay codes like you had black codes. Yes. Uh, I never you know, saw, you know, historical gay universities and colleges, but you have <laughs> yeah. historical black un- colleges and universities. So stop making this insidious yeah. comparison because yeah. what they're trying to do is to validate who they are. I mean, I mean this whole thing is about we got to fight for acceptance. And, and deep down inside, people know that this is a, 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 you know, an abnormal behavior because it was laid down man and wo- man and woman. I mean, this is just how society has proliferated itself. Uh, and so what you're trying to do is get people to accommodate you, to agree with you, to validate you, to make yourself relevant. So you're going to attach yourself to something such as the civil rights movement, which you really have no business doing. Uh, and, and I think it's so important that instead of we having these co-opted black leaders, they're out there, you know, working for a paycheck and willing to say anything that the progressive socialist left tells them, we got to have more people stand up and saying, you know what, you're not, you're not like what happened. Uh, you know, because if you, if you do that, then you disregard and you disrespect all of the black men and women who came before us, they had to really fight to enable us to be where we are today. I want to ask you this and, and, and I feel a little weird asking, but it, it, like I said, the whole thing with Juneteenth bothered me. So I'm not going to name names, but Mm -hmm. I was concerned, uh, by the tone of some of the things that I saw online from, Black conservatives, and I'm putting that in quotes. I'm sorry, I'm putting that in quotes. Black conservatives um, who denigrated the idea of Juneteenth and seemed to go along with, I don't even know how to explain it, but it bothers me, Alan, when I see, and I'm just going to call it for what it is. I see it as pandering it um, is. to the base. Mm-hmm. It, it, it bothers me, and, and I'm calling it out. And it's ignorance and it's ignorance. You know, what what better day than to really undermine the message of the left? Because that day, June the 19th of 1865, was the day that slaves here in Texas finally found out that there was a Republican president who was inspired by a black Republican, Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, to create a document that set them free back on January the 1st of 1863. And so really Juneteenth is a celebration of the Republican Party freeing slaves. And the Republican Party was founded in 1854 for one purpose, was to end slavery, which they did with the 13th Amendment, and then they followed it up with the 14th and 15th Amendment. Now, when you understand that, you understand the power. 
And so Joe Biden coming out and declaring Juneteenth as a national holiday, it uh, it should be the National Republican uh, Emancipation Holiday. That's what we should recognize. And, and if we had more voices coming out and saying that, I guarantee you, the, the left, the Democrats, will not want to talk about Juneteenth ever again. And, and uh, you know, you follow on, and we talked about this earlier, you follow on the fact that two years after finding out that they were free on Independence Day of 1867, those 150 black men created the Republican Party of Texas. So if we profess that history instead of trying to, you know, undermine it, uh, negate it, or to say that we really don't need to, to be celebrating it, then it comes back to what we talked about earlier. Why do what does Independence Day mean for for black people? Well, I can tell you what it means. It means that there was a party that was established to make sure that the words of the Declaration did apply for all people, that we were all created equal. And that was not the Democrat Party. That was the Republican Party. That was not Joe Biden. It was Abraham Lincoln. And how interesting it was that, you know, Abraham Lincoln's statue of likeness, as well as Frederick Douglass statue up in Rochester, New York, the council yes. culture, the council culture of the left destroyed them. Yeah. Tells you all you need to know. Well, you know, again, it's to your point about not knowing our history, because when mm -hmm. slavery was established, we were still a British colony. We were not a country. This mm -hmm. country went to war and got our independence. And then it went to war again to free those slaves. As a nascent nation, we did yeah. that. And so I think <laughs> this country has done a lot of amazing things for us. I mean, you look at the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. Mm -hmm. You'd think that they weren't in the, the Bill of Rights or anything. I mean, it just it's amazing to me to see that people don't understand our history. But well, if, if, if we're not talking about it, they don't. Yeah. And so, you, you again, you think about it then, you know, from Je July the 4th of 1776 to uh, 1865, 1864, 1865. I mean, how many years is that? I mean, that's not that not many years. OK, we corrected it in, in those years. Now, were there still some bumps in the road? Absolutely. But those bumps in the road came at the hands of the Democrat Party. Yeah. And, and so let's start talking about that. If you want to talk about race in America, you want to be honest about it. Let's start talking about the, the party that has always been about the physical enslavement and now the economic enslavement of the black community. And to your point, right after the Civil War, right during Reconstruction, those first uh Congress people that came from some of those southern states yeah. were all black. It wasn't first, until 70 years later that yeah. you saw a black Democrat. First congressional black caucus yes. were, you know, seven members. And uh, it is always something I would consider an honor, uh, having been the second black Republican member of Congress from the state of Florida, the first being Josiah T. Walls, 1873 to 1876. And also uh, being a chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, when the very first black chairman of the Republican Party of Texas was Norris Wright Cooney from 1886 to 1896. That tells you a lot. That's right. Well, I am going to bring in DK now so that we can wrap up and uh, chat about a few things. Yeah, talk bad about me. I know that's what y'all do when I'm gone. <laughs> no, we actually talk very well about you. You're one yeah. of our favorite guests. Well, so DK, you. what did you think about this conversation? What do you have to say? 
Let's get you on mic. I was saying it was a great conversation. I um, apologize for being a little late. I was looking for the person who left that cocaine in the White House. I <laughs> we still have no idea who did it. It's like, it's a complete mystery. And I just want to ask uh, uh, two questions. Uh, one, foreign policy. Yeah. Because um, a few days ago, we had a Russian commander, uh, Eugeny Prigozhin. He led yeah. a battalion, I think, of... Uh, um, mercenaries from his group, the Wagner Group, yes. to Moscow to demand the resignation of the Russian Defense Secretary. Yeah, and that ended abruptly when uh, Prigozhin accepted safe harbor in uh, Belarus. But I was want to get your impression of the the coup attempt. Um, mm -hmm. What does it say about Putin's um, stability as a leader of Russia? And do you think there will be any repercussions for this coup attempt? Well, yes, I think Mr. Prigozhin, uh, he may think he's safe over there in Belarus, but he is not going to be safe because the president there in Belarus is nothing but a crony of uh, Vladimir Putin. But what it really says is that Mr. Prigozhin and his uh, you know, private army of mercenaries, the Wagner Group, uh, they were being chewed up. They were the ones that were being thrown into this cauldron. They were responding and fighting something that they really had no... Uh, no stake in. And it was something that Vladimir Putin started uh, really in violation of the law of land warfare to invade uh, a sovereign nation without any provocation whatsoever. And they started to see the tides turn and they're starting to see members of the Wagner group be uh, severely uh, decimated and killed and things of this nature. And so that's why they took to uh, the streets there. Uh, and so in the long run, uh, Mr. Progression is not safe. Uh, uh, I think everyone would agree with that. But I think that it shows that there is a a a, uh, a fissure uh, in the in the foundation of support. There's a crack in that foundation of support for Vladimir Putin, and he cannot hide the truth uh, long enough. He is not being successful in Ukraine. Young Russian men are losing their lives there unnecessarily. Uh, for his uh, intended goal and purposes. And I think also Mr. Progrosian, being one of those Russian oligarchs, uh, he does not want to see the direction that maybe Putin is taking uh, Russia with uh, going into a co collusion with China and some of these other things, Iran uh, as well. So I think there's a lot of undertones, undercurrents that are there, but Mr. Progrosian needs to sit tight and hunker down for a little while uh, or else he's going to find himself, you know, six feet under. That, that was the most shocking part to me was not the the, the soldiers he led lead, he led to Moscow was the way he denounced the effort in Ukraine. I mean, it's not something you mm -hmm. expect to hear from a, a Russian uh, prominent Russian person. Um, it was it's really quite amazing. I can't wait to see what Putin does in response. Yeah. And I have one more thing I want to touch upon. I thought it was very important um, to mention. There was a, a Pentagon report from a few days ago that said that the amount of active duty military suicides are up 25% in the first three months of this year as compared to last year. So what's going on and how do we stop it? Well, we stop it by focusing on what the mission of the military is. And furthermore, we got to take care of our men and women in uniform. And what you see happening is this focus on an ideological agenda instead of focusing on their well-being. It is very damning 
for members of our military to know that we're allowing people to come into this country illegally. And we are giving them all types of taxpayer funded support, while yet you have members of our military that are told they have to go and uh, get on food stamps. Uh, in order to survive and to take care of their families, things of that nature. And as furthermore, when you think about the horrendous debacle that was Afghanistan uh, and to see what Joe Biden did and turning it over to the exact same people that so many of us have fought hard to get them out of power, uh, that's, that hurts. Uh, that hurts people that were there, that hurts people that lost their brothers and sisters or know people that were, you know, permanently maimed and wounded for the rest of their lives. And so all of these things come to head. But then also, I think a, a portion of this might be these individuals that are suffering from this mental disorder called gender dysphoria. Uh, we're doing all of this backflipping and everything to try to accommodate them when they should not be members of the military because they do have a mental condition. So, you know, private sector needs to take care of these people. It should not be the mission of the military to try to provide them the hormonal therapies and all of these other things that taxpayer expense. But without a doubt, we've got to do a better job of focusing on military. And DK, that's why you see the recruitment and retention in our military in the last two or three years. That is an all-time low. We are, we are right now, this is the 50-year anniversary of the volunteer military force, which everyone thought at the beginning would be a failure. It's been an incredible success, except for what? These last two or three years when they're struggling to make mission. Yeah, that's uh, no more tragic story that I can find or think of about active duty military. Some of the best people in this country, certainly some of the best young people in this country mm -hmm. committing suicide. I mean, there's, it was not well reported in the media. It should have been because it's a very tragic story. Well, they don't want to report that because then you have to ask the question, why is it happening so much so in this administration when uh, we were really turning the tide in the previous administration? What is the VA doing about it? Uh, it seems that not a lot is happening. And uh, I'll be speaking to an organization called Mighty Oaks Foundation on this Friday about this exact same issue. And it's a faith-based program that deals with suicides in our military. On average per day, DK, we're losing 21 to 22 veterans on average per day to suicide. That is unconscionable. That is remarkable. If you're just joining us this segment, our guest has been Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. How do we continue to follow you online mm -hmm. and your work? Uh, you can follow us on all of the social media platforms, except for TikTok. I don't deal with the Communist Chinese Party. And then also uh, Substack and our uh, podcast, Steadfast and Law. You can find us there. Excellent. As always, again, our favorite uh, guest of the month is always when we get to talk nice. to you. So thank you for being with us today. My pleasure. Take care, y'all. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So what'd you think? You know, Alan West and I agree on so many issues. I mean, I, I had to uh, laugh at Loud at one point. I think he called the Muslims uh, the new yeah. white supremacist. <laughs> there are so many, oh, yeah. there are so many white supremacist groups. I mean, the white supremacy movement has to be the most ethnically diverse movement in the country <laughs> right now. <laughs> you hear uh, Muslims are white supremacists now. You got um, you got the Hispanics who are white supremacists now. You have a DEI component now. Yeah, even yeah. even liberals. There's this woman Anna Car 
Kardashian, I think her last name is. She's a, a young woman on the Young Turks, which is like the ultra left standard in the media. She says something about not wanting to be identified as a as a birthing person. And now she's a white supremacist. Oh, man. She's, everyone's a white supremacist now. Yeah, they should charge membership. They'd be rich, yeah, you know. <laughs> they would. Almost like Bill. Did I say that? Did I say the quiet <laughs> part out loud? There's one more group I didn't mention who are also white supremacists, and they are the Asians. Right. Um, they are being attacked ruthlessly by the left on platforms like Twitter because apparently they're allies of the of white bigotry against blacks. I just want to show you a couple examples of what I mean. Um, this is uh, Soledad O'Brien. She's a prominent liberal, used to be on CNN. This is what she tweeted. This is responsive to this woman who's uh, in her bio. She says she's president of the Asian Wave, co-founder of Place, advisor of Final Five and on the fair board, et cetera. And she tweeted, I told my daughter that today is a big day. They've ended affirmative action. Isn't it what you've been fighting for? She asked. I said, yes. And this is Soledad O'Brien response. Congrats on screwing over other people of color, ma'am, particularly those whose effort in civil rights paved the way for your family to come to America. This is... um give you another a very similar response from uh, Jamil Hill, who oh, yeah. used to be a sports person now, and she's yes. a activist for some reason. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> and she said in response to the same tweet, can't wait until she reads that you gladly carried the water for white supremacy and stabbed the folks wow. whose people fought diligently for Asian American rights in America. The imagery in that, the yeah. imagery in that. See, people don't know their history, so they don't get why that's so offensive. But that's that's really offensive. And let's wow. see, just one more thing. Wow. Then I want to get your comment upon, get your commentary. Just get put one more thing on the screen. Um, this is from NPR, which is, of course, is an, yeah. another very liberal outlet. And I'll just read this. Government-funded. Yeah. yeah, publicly funded to yeah. propagate uh, socialism. It says here in this article, they wrote about agents in response to the affirmative action decision that the promise of proximity to whiteness and power has radicalized some Asian Americans on the right. So that's what it's all about for Asians. It's not radicalized about, because it's not about wanting to send their children to the best <laughs> schools possible. That's crazy. That's it's crazy. about being, it's about the proximity to whiteness. It's not about the welfare of their children, why they, they don't want their children to have to score uh, 200 points higher on the SATs to have the equal chance of being admitted to these elite schools. Yeah. It's about, you know, being water carriers for the white supremacy movements and stabbing blacks. That and is just. Yeah. That's horrific. That's like I said, that, that language is, is really bad. Um, my thoughts on that are kind of what I talked about uh, a Thursday night when we did our, our live stream is just that, you know, my kids have had a really rough 
time of it, my children, for those who don't know, were adopted. Two of my children were adopted. My oldest is ours biologically um, and had a birthday this week. So happy birthday. Um, so I uh, talked he's about. My, he's my age now. No. No, he's 25. nowhere near your age. Yeah, he's 25, but he's not anywhere near your age. But anyway, uh, so my kids uh, have worked very, very, very hard to overcome some obstacles. And so the fact that my daughter, as I talked with Alan West, uh, made the dean's list all of the semesters that she was eligible to do so uh, is more meaningful because of that, not because oh, well, here's the poor little girl who overcame all these obstacles. And, well, you know, um, we're going to give her, you know, we're going to handicap her by this and and put her out in front and, and start her at the head of the pack against everybody else. No, that means a lot because she had to carry the same load everybody else did, got no breaks, um, and uh, was able still to do what everyone else did and actually do it better than most of her counterparts. So there is a certain pride that she has in herself um, because for a long time, I don't think she had the confidence in herself. She didn't believe in herself. And so to have this outward validation that, you know, I went to their school, I didn't get any kind of a break. I didn't get any sort of preferential anything. Um, and yet I still did this, 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 and got the certification. And again, has now gotten a promotion and two raises in one year is something amazing. They trust her at work. They're always pulling her aside and asking her opinion on things. Um, and so she's an amazing, amazing person. She really is my Shiro. And so she is my example of why affirmative and it's so funny because she was against affirmative action for many many years when she was in homeschool you know and we talked about the firefighters case where they were dumbing down the test because they weren't getting enough firefighters of color she was the one that expressed outrage and said that that was so racist that people were doing that because we didn't need dumbed down tests i mean it's like what i was talking to alan west about people don't remember or i mean i don't know that they don't think about it that you know it was illegal to teach a slave to read and write. And yet, where we have come from that, you know, some people will say, well, that's why we need a, a, a affirmative action at one time. But unless, I don't know, maybe you can make the argument we can't read and write now because of the uh, democratic influence in the school districts and the teachers unions, but it shouldn't be that way. Brown, B, Brown v. Board of Education address some of those disparities and there shouldn't be any disparity in our ability to do math and reading and everything should be the same. We should all be equal, um, but they're not. And that's why I chose to homeschool. And because I did so put my kids in a better position than I think some of those kids that we see who are feeling like they now have no option to get into these schools. My pushback to that is maybe you don't belong in those schools, not because you're not bright, but there are certain academic rigors and certain personality traits that you need to have um, that are not something that you can learn. A, a DEI program can't give you those internal traits that you need to succeed academically at some of those schools. They're very, very rigorous. 
And so if you are black and you have the academic ability, um, the person that I was talking about that um, is uh, part of this reparations thing back in my that I grew up with, um, went to one of the most prestigious schools uh, in San Francisco and wasn't because he was black. It was because he was brilliant. Um, and so I would rather be known as the kid who succeeded against all odds rather than be the person who got in because they were black. And again, I reference Judge, uh, Justice Brown. It's an awful, or Justice Jackson. It's an awful thing to say, but when you make race and sex the focal point of, of your tenure, then that's what I'm going to look at. And so I don't see her judicial accomplishments. I see, oh, Joe Biden wanted a black woman. There's a black woman that Joe Biden wanted, rather than looking at Clarence Thomas and saying, oh, here's a justice who happens to be black. Amy Coney Barrett, here's a justice that happens to be a woman. You know, these kinds of things, I don't look at that. I look at their record because that's what they were appointed for. I was going to show a, a video from an, a young Asian woman who, Asian American woman who was rejected from Stanford despite having extraordinary SAT scores and um, a GPA. And well, I'll just summarize it because she spoke in length about her upbringing from, um, from her parents who are immigrants from China. Um, she spoke about how she went to math camps and had math tutors and college prep courses and, and reading um, math Which textbooks. are all costly things. Yeah, and reading yeah. math textbooks while her friends were at the mall and, you know, between breaks, between the other activities she had to do, she had to take piano lessons, she had to play basketball, and every chance she got, she dealt into math because she said initially she wasn't very good at math. And, you know, as an Asian... They were, she was mocked for that. Yeah. yeah, she was mocked for that, but they worked at it. Her parents to sit down with her at the table every night and give her math exercises to do. And she said eventually she went from being one of the worst math students in her class to one of the best. And, and it's not an Asian thing. I, I wanted to emphasize that more. Yeah. It's not. The parental involvement and the investment of time and money. That's what I did with my Asians. kids. Yeah, it's not a matter of agents being genetically predisposed to be good at math or getting good grades. It's it's a it's a it's a parental involvement thing, as you said. It's also an immigration thing because America tends to attract those kind of people, people who come to this country legally. I'll emphasize who want the best for their kids, and even like this young lady said, her parents came to this country with three thousand dollars between them that they had to borrow, but they made sure that. They did what they had to do to give their children a better life, and that better life comes through academia. I hear the same thing from immigrants I know who are from the West Indies. I have a friend who's a prominent professor. He's from Africa. You know, so it's not an Asian thing. It's an immigrant thing. People who come to this country legally want the best for their kids, and they want their kids to thrive academically. That's a great priority for them. And they should be rewarded for that when they get to a, a spot where they can go to a, a Harvard or a Stanford or Princeton and they have the grades and they have the SAT scores. It shouldn't, the color of their skin shouldn't matter. And as I said in a, 
a Substack I posted a few days ago. It is a very cruel irony of the affirmative action movement that it leads to people being discriminated against because of the color of their skin. And you can find that at acons.substack.com. And with that, we are going to wrap up another episode of African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. Tune in. We're going to probably have a live stream on Thursday nights. That's our thing that we've been doing lately. So thank you for your response <laughs> to that. Uh, and uh, please just follow us on acons.substack.com and you'll find more great commentary, all of our social media profiles and uh, everything that we're up to these days. So this is Marie signing off from Studio C. This is DK. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. You can find us online at acons.substack.com, anchor.fm forward slash A-A-C-O-N-S. And also you can support our work at anchor.fm forward slash A-A-C-O-N-S forward slash support.